Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Alex Chavez. I'm Kyle Dino Lord Poole. And I'm Ralph Enough, and we're back again with another episode to help new players step up their game. In the first episode that we had, that uh, Patrick had uh, given us the topic, covered a few of the boogeyman units that were out there and how do you deal with those units. And someone had the bright idea, hey, maybe we should cover scenarios. And I thought, well, that's a really great idea. So, Alex, where the hell have you been? Did you go to Seattle? I, I did go to Seattle, yeah. You okay, so that would be the last time I saw you. I haven't seen you in forever. I know, I know. Do you still play Kings of War? I do, I do. I, I'm, I'm, I haven't traveled as much, but you'll, you'll see me around. You got to look at the mid-tables now to find me. I'm one of those has-beens. Get out of here with this guy over here. <laughs> that's that's here. a problem. You only stop, I know you, you only stop the top three for rankings, right? Once you, once you get down there, you, don't, you stop. It doesn't, play. yeah, it's <laughs> like uh, second place, just the first loser. Exactly, right? Exactly. It, it sounds like you're suffering from master's syndrome, Alex. Once you're the best, who cares? I like to just ride that, trust me. <laughs> that's basically my motto, yeah. Well, that'd be exciting to see you at Masters coming up here in a couple of weeks. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm actually really excited. What are you bringing? So I'm, I'm going with Dwarves. So I'm, I'm going back to my roots a bit. I'm going to play Dwarves, a very different army than I played back then. But um, I think Dwarves are in a good spot, obviously. They're one of the top, if not the top army of, of people playing there. So Eight of them, I think, of Imperial yeah, Dwarves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're good. Defense 6 always works yeah you know there's a lot of things you could you can invest in but defense six is is always going to be a solid investment yeah and i think dwarves are actually a pretty well rounded list right now you'll see that they kind of they play into a lot of different things well the defense is a lot of tough for a lot of the shooting armies to deal with they can't just pick up enough units and then also they just kind of have the the combined shooting and toughness they're uh scoring war engines called sharpshooters right that's exactly right yeah they're so good insane yeah who knew what uh, Mike Rossi was onto? So many. I, years I mean, Rob, he was the first. He was the first. To, he, he was knew, a progenitor. Yeah. I mean, exactly. he was rocking like three troops of those guys like four years ago. Exactly. He just he needed to add more and needed to uh, yeah to add more defense six. That's what, he never like got past the second step. I think I don't know. He just kept taking more doors <laughs> on foot. And obviously, we got the Dino Lord here. Kyle Pool's joining us again. What are you playing? You're playing goblins, I think, right? Yeah, I'm bringing I'm bringing all melee goblins. So I found out I'm not the highest drop. Uh, Donnie beat me by one drop with 25, and I tied Jeff O'Neill at 24. But I'm bringing the least amount of shooting goblins because I play for sports votes. But no, I'm I'm taking uh, I'm taking melee goblins, and just like last time, I'm currently painting melee goblins for masters. But your army's all painted by now, I would assume, Alex. It is, but I'm I'm still touching up and doing some things, trying to make it a little more travel friendly too. Are you flying? Or are you guys driving? I'm flying. Yeah, driving is not possible. I don't think it's probably 25 hours to drive there. Something ridiculous. Um, so yeah, so my whole region's flying. Alex, I'm pretty sure your army was painted in first edition, wasn't it? <laughs> I wish, dude. I wish. Now, honestly, back then, it's actually shocking how little units crossover from from the army I, I played back then to now. Honestly, I, I might be zero. Actually, like like the actual units, it's actually kind of interesting to, to see them. The, the Steel Behemoth is the only thing I think that actually was good then, good now. 
from back in Chicago, second edition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I said yeah. from back to Chicago because I had I did the old rocks and brocks, right? That was kind of my my thing, and and I, neither of those you actually don't see much of those nowadays. I mean, they're still good, but there's just better options now. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, brocks I think are cool. You see them a lot, and, and yeah, the elementals aren't necessarily bad, but you know, when you can take a, a like a dwarf regiment for a hundred. 80 points with a dog with throwing dog attached to it. You know, that's, it's a lot more fun. Tonight's episode. We are taking the next step uh, in our new player series. Um, specifically tonight, we're going to talk about scenarios. The intent is that we are going to have three episodes on scenarios and we've broken up the scenarios into groups. And tonight we're going to be covering the area control scenarios. Um, so we're talking pillage, dominate, control, salt, the earth. So you're going to hear a lot about drops unit strength the other thing that we're doing i think is going to be great we're going to have some different u.s masters on each episode when we were talking about this alex we said hey we want to do an area control one i said well i mean alex did win the u.s masters in dominate back in chicago i was like he plays a lot of dwarves uh probably a good person to have on the show to chat about this uh this scenario type so we're glad to have you aboard well, I appreciate it. I'm actually honored to, to be back here. Obviously, a uh, big fan of the show and, and always, always uh, happy to come talk Kings of War and other nerd stuff. And you haven't, have you done any Dash 28 stuff lately? I know for a while there, you were on a hot streak. Yeah, I have, I have, I, I'm still technically content creator. You'll, you'll probably see an article with my name on it at some, some point in the future. <laughs> but uh, we'll say behind the scenes, I'm helping out with the uh, other stuff. But, but no, it's I a lot of work. It takes an it, army it is of a lot of work. It, it's, uh, it takes a lot of work. It's fun, though. It, it's a lot of good content there. I think um, it's cool. I always love seeing people that, like read articles like years later, like, oh, that's got article still helps me. Or like, you know, it's amazing how many like random articles still still get popular now, like, you know, as a, as a resource, as a tool. And the ones that are like sort of general are still good basic tips even though we're in third edition stuff you may have written in second edition some of that stuff is still applicable totally yeah a lot of i mean ranks and flanks strategies pretty much carry over i think um edition edition like your, your game plans don't change that much so i think that's that's a you know it's kind of one of the would be one of the really appealing things about kings of war it's a very pure ranks and flanks game right like those those general tactics really hold up you know over over time i think well, tonight, as I mentioned, we're going to tackle the area control scenarios, which are pillage, control, dominate, and salt the earth. And there are some differences among those scenarios. And before we get into each individual one, kind of want to turn it over to you guys to find out, you know, what are some general things people should know about playing this style of scenario? Uh, you want to fire fire us off, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just start with that. I do, I do generally consider myself a, a pretty scenario-driven player. And one thing I'll say is everyone that wants to learn to be more scenario driven is play a slow army. I think, I think that's a good way to learn to play scenarios because when you play a slow army, you're, you're basically forced to look ahead like two or three turns. Cause if you don't, you're not going to do anything. You're, you're going to be like, Oh wait, my unit's just not able to get to where it needs to be to score things. So, so I learned very quickly playing dwarves like, Oh, wait, if I want to score that objective, I need to plan my deployment phase around making sure that they can get there in six turns. Cause otherwise they won't be able to make it. So um, one of the things I again learned very quickly was Hey, let's figure out, you know, where units are going to go, where I, th I think it really starts in deployment phase. And again, um, for faster armies, they have a lot more leeway to kind of get away with, um, you know, kind of, kind of moving around. So, so there's an advantage to that. There's also a sort of like crutch to that where you think you don't really like learn properly how to play scenarios where you're putting unit strength in the right place and making sure that you're kind of considering a lot of those things. Now there is 
a lot of factors that goes into control into these like control based scenarios. You know, there's, there's obviously a bunch of them, but um, I think unit strength is like you mentioned before is a big one. But I actually think more important than unit strength is actually a number of scoring units like that. That is actually a very big factor. I think that often doesn't get talked about enough. Um, when it comes to arm composition, because, um, you know, goblins, for example, can be very guilty of like, oh, I have 22 drops, right? But like, how many of those actually score, right? It's like that's you know, sometimes it's when you knock out the nine war engines. Right, exactly. You take away, you know, six war engines, maybe like three wizards, two bangets. It's like you're down, you're down to like 15 units. That's the same thing I have for for number of scoring units, right? So it's like, you know, you have to consider that when, when you build your list. It shouldn't, it shouldn't just be, oh, yeah, is my unit strength high enough? It's how many units you have that score. And that's actually the most important, I think, for, for these scenarios here, with maybe the exception of Dominate. But I think for these other three scenarios, you really want to look at how many scoring units you have and making sure that number is high enough. Because um, if it isn't, um, your opponents can really take advantage of that by just, like, really focusing in on your scoring units, just killing it really quickly, and then, like, you know, even if you're up on the trades, you're still going to be behind on that that important number in the game. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's one of the big keys. Really, is that I start with is like, you know, focus on your army design and build around you know having that, and then when you deploy, kind of really think into that and kind of play around that. And I think um, that that's kind of the, the biggest takeaway. I think I'd say is kind of like it really starts with army design. Alex is correct. He's also a master, uh, so he's more correct. But no, you you got that right. You play an army that doesn't have a speed 20 nimble flyer that can redeploy when you make a mistake and you'll find your deployment gets cleaner because it has to if you want to play in the game um second edition goblins orcs dwarves generic kingsmen any any sort of classic rank and flank list will help you get better uh one of the things that is really different about these quote-unquote control or zone type missions like dominate uh like raise like actually control is in a lot of missions not in this category it's about gaining the token and either hiding or being a bully in the control type missions movement is so important because as an overarching thought you always need to be thinking about can i be boxed out or can i box my opponent out even from deployment. So there's some missions. If you look and you lose, you can deploy in a way if your opponent's not careful, where if you lose the first turn roll, your opponent can say, Hey, dwarf player, you're no longer going to score at all. I'm going to hold the dominate circle and you're going to have to grind through it and you'll never score. So you, you have to think about what if I don't get the first turn, especially hard in these sort of, zone or control type missions because if you fall behind at the wrong time you you've lost so you can you can lose the game in deployment if you don't get the right dice roll if you're not careful yeah i think that's that's definitely something that i know like it, it's a bit of a newbie trap and i've fallen for this as well it's like a lot of times i don't know if it's like the optimistic part like you want you want to assume you're going to go first like oh i'm going to go first i'm going to shoot this off the table i'm going to do all these amazing things and like you tend to overestimate that ability. I think it's almost always better to plan to go second and to kind of deploy in that assumption. We're like, oh, okay, well, if I don't get the first turn, then I need to have a plan. Your plan shouldn't be I need to go first. Um, that That's a very easy thing to mess up. Um, again, especially for slower armies where you don't have the advantage of, of fixing those deployment mistakes. I think that, that's a very big one. Having lost a game multiple times because i think to myself if i just go first i'll win and then you don't and your opponent buys the dominate circle or they get the kill box set up 
and you go, so if I score, I die. And then you're on the back foot from turn zero, trying to figure out how you want to pace your tempo and all that. So that's, that's my overarching tip is make sure you're planning to not win the dice roll. Definitely. Definitely. It helps a lot. I mean, I think one thing I want to mention too, is like, um, obviously you have four very, you know, there's still different scenarios in the day. Um, but the one thing I think it's again, common between these is that you want to really plan to have your units in positions. And that that's kind of the, the premise of this game. So that's why deployment is so important. It's like, the, the whole game plan is where are my units going to end the game, right? Like that's that's a question you should be asking yourself when when you're putting your army down. And, and you know, it, it's a lot of times, and I, I'm very much like this as well. I, I more or less have a game. My, what my opponent does very rarely affects how I do my deployment. Um, you know, I can pretty much deploy blind and it, it'd be fine. Like it, it's not a big deal. And the main reason being that I'm looking at the scenario. I'm looking at how can I get these units in places. And yeah, obviously there's a few things I'll set up. You know, obviously, if I have like a phalanx unit, I'm going to put it in front of cavalry. If I have, you know, like a unit on a flank by itself, I, I want something fast, and nimble there. You know, those, those kind of things are still great and, and important to plan. But in general, um, I'm going to deploy in a way where I'm looking at this, say, let's let's take control, for example, right? I, I, you have, you know, six scoring zones. I need to say, okay, how how do I, you know, put a unit in each zone? Like, if you, if you don't put anything on the right side of the board, obviously, if you've given away two points right away, right before the game even starts. And, and that's, even though that is a, win, a potentially winning strategy, it's, it's something that you have to make sure that you, you know, goes into your strategy. Say, like, okay, can I can I win the game without those two points? You know, if the answer is yes, then sure. Okay, at least at least you've asked the question of like where a main is going and where they're going to score. And and, and um, yeah, so I think it's one of those really important things we deploy. So like, where are my pieces going to end the game? Absolutely. We talked last episode about the player who makes their army ask their opponent more questions is usually the winner, and. In these missions, right, if me and Alex are on the table and I deploy in a way where he looks at dominate and goes, I don't have a way to score dominate unless I start killing models turn one and he doesn't have a turn one kill, then I've asked him a question and he has to counter deploy that or come up with a new strategy. So overall, these missions, more so than like loot or invade, really are deployment heavy because you can't kill your way through a mistake on the control type missions, I think is the summary I'd come up with. I agree. And, and obviously like if you table your opponent, you're going to win every single one of these missions. So like, obviously I guess without saying to say like you want to win the game, you know, through, through killing your opponent first. But, you know, I, I kind of like to assume a, a tough matchup, assume that it's going to be a very back and forth swingy thing. Maybe assume that roles are going to go against you, right? Like, like prepare for things to go wrong. Right. So it's like, if that happens, can I still win the scenario? And, and there's, you know, there's there's ways to do that. There's ways to like you know roll five snake eyes in a game and still win, right? Like it's like if, if you're controlling the points and you're not you know giving up the the, the unit strength where you need to, then it's it's fine, right? It's, it's okay. You don't have to table your opponent. And I think that's that's something that you know is very easy to overlook. What I think is interesting when you look at these four scenarios that we're going to cover: pillage, control, dominate, insult the earth. Yes, they're all about controlling a part of the board or a token, but it's different. So if you just take dominate and control, control is really about trying to control the whole board, right? Like in six areas, whereas dominate's a bullseye. Feels like there's probably a very different strategy between control and dominate, even though at the end of the day, you're doing the same thing, but how you do it feels different. Dominate and control, you don't get to decide where the zones are. But pillage, you do. You have some. You have agency in terms of where you put the tokens. Uh, and then salt the earth is the wild card one, right? Because if you're in that scenario where you know you're going to get hammered, you can start burning tokens if you need. I'm really excited about hearing you guys speak to these scenarios because every event you go to, 
you're going to have one of these. No, I think definitely. Yeah, yeah, probably one, if not two. I mean, the, some of these are pretty much some of the oldest scenarios we've had. And, and, and they're good ones, too. I think, I think like, you know, they reward, um, you know, planning ahead. They reward, you know, sort of, of playing the game. Obviously, you know, there's, there's again, slight variation scenario to scenario. But, you know, especially something like Salty Earth, I even get to it's like, that's the one where like that rewards the most planet ahead, right? Like if you're, if you're able to burn enough tokens, you just like, you can win the game on, on such a small amount. Right. And, and, and yeah, I think, I think absolutely. You're, you're like, the, these tactics carry over even to other scenarios too. Right. It's like, it's one of those things that like, once you understand the, the, the grass, you, you definitely, there's some parallels and applications between them. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of really cool things to, to learn and apply, I think in general. And I don't think any one archetype is the best. Tonight, we're talking about one set of scenarios. You can't just build just for this type of scenario. You got you to be balanced because you're going to f- play all of these different, you know, all of these different types. You mentioned Pillage. I mean, Pillage goes all the way back to first edition, right? So it, it's right. it's one of the, the first ones. And then obviously Dominate came out in second edition with, I think, with Control, maybe in a Clash of Kings book. And then Salt to Earth, that's a, that's a third edition. So what's interesting is that we have this common grouping of where you're trying to control points of the map, but they're from three different time periods of the game, right? First, second, two and a half and, and three, right? So it's interesting that the game has evolved and we have these very unique, different scenarios. And, you know, we'll talk about some of these like dominate. We should also point out that historically these control scenarios used to be about the points, right? You scored with the amount of points you had in like dominate, right? So if you yep. had 600 points, you brought up a good point about scoring units. Well, Back then, it, w- it wasn't a scoring unit. It was a vampire lord on a right. steed would run um, in there and be like, "I'm a hundred, I'm two hundred points or whatever he is." Uh, and things have changed a lot, and I think for the better because I think it really does push you to more of a number of scoring units. I agree. Yeah, it really, it really changed the balance of power away from those single monsters, a single. You know, you, again, you put you have two tree men worth six hundred points. You just put in the middle of the board and say, "I'm not moving." Right? It's like that's 200 that's that's you know the 600 points that would that would be really really unstoppable now that loses to like you know that uses the zombies now it's like it's like you know one point who cares yeah exactly one point of pop like yeah two two tree men that's two units who cares exactly so my rabble's that yeah exactly and uh before we get started i think i'll i'll leave with the last little takeaway and it's that no matter what mission we're talking about kill is your secondary mission it's always there Right. I mean, I did well at Adepticon years ago with last place attrition, but I didn't kill enough to win all my games. If your opponent can't score, he can't win. So kill is always a secondary mission unless we're playing kill. And I don't know which master gets to deal with that mission, Um, but kill is always secondary. But if you play kill as your primary mission you're going to lose against talented players because they'll mitigate the impacts and then they'll win the game. They're going to they're gonna hold back their good scoring units. I've never done that to anyone, Rob. Yeah, everybody. And me, like five times, sure. <laughs> I think what we can do now is we'll go into the different scenarios and, and the way we're going to format this tonight is I'll, I'll read the scenario out and then I'll turn it over to these two fine gentlemen to kind of walk us through how they would play. And let's start with Pillage because Pillage is a classic scenario. It's been around a really long time. I mean, in first edition, we had Kill pillage and then kill and pillage those are the only three scenarios we had let's start with pillage pillage before rolling off the two sides place a total of d3 plus four objective markers on the board the players take 
it in turns to place one objective each. Roll off to see who places the first objective. Victory points are awarded at the end of the game as follows. One victory point for each objective marker you control. And we should mention to control an objective marker, it's the most unit strength within three inches of the objective marker. Yeah, let's jump right into it, right? Pillage is a fun one. To start with, I'll say one of the, the few scenarios where I'll say that going second, I think, is, is you know, all, thing, all, all other things equal, I think, inherently better in pillage. You, you kind of want the ability to react to your opponent saying, oh, okay, I, I, can, I can shoot and kill one unit maybe that, that's on an objective point, and, and, and then if the game ends, I just, I just win or I just take that, right? So there's, there's a lot of ability to react, whereas if, if you're top of, you know, say, turn six or turn seven, it's like you don't know what's going to happen on that bottom turn. So it's like you're, you're kind of stuck a bit sometimes. So I think pillage generally is good. Now, of course, you know, there's still there's scenarios and, and kind of going to what Kyle said earlier, like it, you still want to kill stuff. So like if you're in a position where going first is going to give you an advantage to kill this army, you should take that. But I think I think everything, all else is things equal, right? If it's two armies that don't necessarily have a shooting advantage and there's no real obvious advantage going first, I, I'd say go second on the scenario um, if you can because, um, you know, you want the ability to do that. Now, the other really cool thing about pillage is that um, – you have the ability to place the tokens where you want. So symmetry in this scenario is not really guaranteed. Um, you know, it's one of the few ones where, and obviously the, you know, the other ones are kind of pillage offshoots, I'll say, but like th there's no symmetry guaranteed in this. So, so if you want to go crazy, you can start putting tokens on one side of the board and kind of hope you win the, you know, the roll off for the first turn, right? Or first side pick. So like that is an option. And I've, I've seen people do that strategy, like especially with armies that, that are maybe, um, very like either fast or aggressive. Like, like, Hey, I'm going to put this side of tokens and my, my plan A is going to be, you know, if I win this side, I, I control this and I'm going to kind of pincer you and make you really fight for it. Or plan B is okay. You win that side. I'm just going to play very aggressive anyway. So I'm just going to push into your board and attack you and try to like, so it's like, there, there's some cool things you can do with that. Um, I, I say that's not necessarily for newbie advice I'd give, but um, I think you want to play symmetry in general. When you, when you put tokens, have your opponents doing something fishy, I'd say, okay, you know, let me mark, let, let me kind of put, put things in a way to counter what they're doing. Like, like, okay. So like I see their plan there, I'm going to plan around it. Um, but you know, I think, I think token placement is a very important part. And I think we can kind of go into that a little more. I do think before we go much deeper, Alex, mm -hmm. we should address how me and you play pillage from a tournament standpoint versus how the rules as written play pillage. Right, so U.S. tournament standard is max tokens. So we play pillage with seven tokens. Yeah, that, and that's very common. So if you're playing rules as written, or you know you've got Rob running a tournament or a TO who says, "Hey, let's spice it up," the game plays incredibly different at four or five or six or seven tokens because the disparity of points, the how you can space them. So when we're talking about this mission, at least for tonight. I'm really going to focus on sort of the more competition side, the max tokens at seven, because for scoring as a TO, it's a lot easier to score a seven point mission versus like a two. Um, so when we're talking about stuff, all, everything is going to be applicable, but I'm not going to go into the details on how to do like four token pillage versus a seven, just because it's so different. Yeah, we should mention it's D3 plus four. So it's going to be five, six or seven tokens, right? However, when you're running a tournament, the last thing you want is people playing with different amounts of tokens because that fundamentally changes the way it's played. 
Yeah, it's that and, and the modifiers too. When when you play in tournaments, you you have a, a scale of victory, right? And so, if, if I win and I only captured five objectives due to only the fault that I only rolled a, a one on the on the opener versus Kyle's wins and he had seven objectives because he rolled a three, that's not it's not like not to say Kyle won bigger than I did, right? That's that's not fair. So the, to keep it consistent in tournaments environments, exactly, you always go for that seven. And blackjack scoring and other common systems they define that. They say, hey, it's based on. This many tokens, and as Kyle said, it's usually seven. It's, it's almost always seven. Yeah, you'll, you'll see seven as that that max that gives you the biggest band. It won't change a lot about our chat tonight, but I just want to make sure we put that out there because if I'm going to play four token pillage or five token pillage, I'm going to probably think about it very differently. Um, I might have less throwaway, or I might not do as many corner pocket tokens. You got to think about it differently. So I'm going to talk about it from a max token standpoint to keep it consistent. Sounds good. And I think to, to play off of that too, one of the important things to consider right away with the, with the seven um, token pillage is one is that whoever wins the role to place first token is going to place four instead of three. So there's autom- automatically dissymmetry in the way you're placing the token. So usually if you win that role to place that first token, you're kind of deciding what side is going to be heavier leaned on, right? And, and that's and that's something as to say, like, you know, in where where are you where are you gonna put the tokens that food? Now, to me, again, this comes down to the deployment, right? If you're putting tokens down, you're basically saying, I'm gonna be there when the game ends. That's what you're saying when you put a token down. So if you're again, go let's go back to doors, right? If I put a token down in, in the deployment zone, right? That that's that's saying one of two things, right? It's saying I want that side of that deployment zone because I, there's no way in hell I'm gonna run my dwarf unit all the way through my opponent to get to their opponent zone. Instead, they're saying, I want that opponent because I want to put that unit of sharpshooters there. And that's where, you know, like sharpshooters really shines because you want tokens in your deployment zone that you can score with a cheap 100-point effective shooting unit. Well, let's talk about the first token, Alex, because I usually, I play a pretty mixed arms, right? I'm not slow, I'm not fast if I'm looking at goblins. So I look a lot of times, if I win the roll first token, I'm almost deciding, do I want to play left side of the board, middle of the board, or right side? And then I'm actually going to try and place that token somewhere in the middle line, like no man's land, on the portion of the board I want to play, side be damned. Right. Because then I'm saying, look, I just want to fight over here. Maybe I don't care which deployment edge I get, but I need the fight to happen over here. Yeah, and that's 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 that says a lot already. I think because when you put that first token there, and I think middle of the boards are that's generally where I put tokens too. If I'm being honest, I generally don't want to overly commit to something right away, and and so I te- I I, I want to make the I, I generally build symmetry a little bit, but um, but one thing to keep in mind too when you put tokens down is that when you put a token down again. You're, you're telling again. You're, you're in your head. You're thinking, okay, I'm going to end the game here. But also, you're preventing your opponent from putting a token within 12 inches. So you, there's this kind of a defensive element to put a token down to say, hey, okay, well, your next token can't be anywhere near here. So you know, Kyle's example. If you put a token on the left side of the board, you're going to say, well, your opponent can't put one there. So you might you can kind of eliminate spots where tokens might go based on on your placement. So that's that's generally why the middle of the board is better too because if there's like a oh hey, I can put this token right in front of this piece of difficult terrain. My army's got pathfinder, I can get to that real easily. You're going to struggle to get to that, right? Um you want to you want to claim that spot very good. If your opponent says, "Oh no, 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 I'm going to put a token, you know, behind that terrain where I can get to it easily even if I don't have pathfinder." They prevent you from playing around that area. So so you want to look for a little advantages like that where you can. I think whether whether it's wall or passables maybe there's 
you know, obviously there's a three inch impassable rule. You can't put terrain around it, but it's still terrain around passables that favors armies that are nimble, that are flying, that can kind of think, Oh, I don't I'll fly behind that piece of terrain. No problem. Right. Um, you know, other armies can't do that. So those are like little things that you want to look for and look, look for good spots that like, Hey, I can get to those tokens. I can get there. I don't want my opponent to play one near that. And if you're your opponent, you want to put, you want to consider the same thing. So if your opponent's playing that flying list, you want to put a token somewhere where they they don't have the option to kind of do that. So those are all like little things that go on when you put tokens that you want to make sure you're really kind of setting the zones around where you want, determining, you know, where you're going to end the game and kind of also trying to help, you know, create some balance of like where the symmetry is going to be in the game. My question for you guys, given the size of some of these hordes that can actually control multiple tokens, do you guys ever, does that play into your thought process? Like, hey, I know I have hordes. And if I put these two tokens apart, I know I can put a horde in between them and, and possibly score two. It comes down to three pieces for me, Rob. So, Alex, I'll start this one. The game has three different sizes of hordes that are standard, right? You've got regular infantry horde, heavy infantry horde, and large infantry horde. And they all play differently. So regular infantry horde at 8 inches, zones have to be 12 inches apart and scored in three. So an 8-inch horde can score two zones at 12. So if you've got the horde advantage or you're convinced you can get two tokens in the back or something like that where you can double score with an infantry horde, man, that's a huge win, right? You're, you're scoring two assets for one resource. Um Ogre players can't do this. So one of the things, if I'm against ogres, I'll try to keep all the tokens at 12 because they just, they can't math it. And then one of the things, if you're playing large infantry, so salamanders, orcs, um, actually, I think that's it right now. It's just salamanders and orcs. But all you have to do is make those objectives 14 inches apart. You can double tap them. The regular armies can't. And then obviously Night Hordes, but if a Night Horde scoring two tokens, the player not getting charged by the Night Horde is probably just fine with it. Um, but yeah, so one of the first things I do is I just very quickly, I'll look at the board because there may be so much terrain that that's going to be really challenging to do. Or there may be lots of impassable in the middle or, or whatever you find yourself with it. But once I've looked at the board and I've decided generally what third I want to fight on, so I, I go primary third, secondary third. I don't want to fight over there. That's how I look at pillage. And then I say, okay, would I prefer that board edge or this board edge if I had a chance to deploy my tokens? And then the very next thing I'm doing is I'm going, now as I'm looking at deploying tokens, what spacing should I be aiming for? Do I want to play for 12s? Do I want to play for 14s? Or do I want to make sure no token is closer because I'm worried my opponent will kill? So like an all blade stalker list. I might not live if I'm scoring two tokens because he's going to focus me down. So why even try? Just spread them out and make his army struggle with his hyper elite stuff to move. So you, you've got to make that call even before you deploy models. You've got to make that call when you place your first token. So there's a lot of list confidence going into something like pillage. I would say, Alex, you can correct me, but I would say pillage is probably one of the highest skill defining missions in the game right now. I'd agree with that. I think I think there's a lot going on into the scenario portion, and especially because because you have a big part of the scenario too, right? You have this phase of, of determining the pillage. You you can absolutely like I was saying, you win the game. But you can absolutely put yourself in a, in a very advantageous position before a single dot. You know, I guess a die has been rolled, but before before you just put it on the table, you can already be in a huge advantage. I think I think that's a, that's a one very- of my favorite things is to pick the board edge that has impassable in deployment, tuck the token behind it, and stick a regiment there. 
you've got to commit like dragons to come move that thing. Right. And then if you have a dragon scoring in the corner, I'm happy. You can have it. Exactly. That, that's an advantage to the very cheap drops and the, and the cheap scoring drops is to say, hey, you know, here's my move. I'm, I'm going to put a cheap unit here. I have one point in my pocket. Before we even start, I got one point in the bag, right? What are you going to do about it? Um, and I would say there's no army that can't do that. Dwarves can bring a troop of dogs or a regiment yeah. of dogs. You've got a troop of sharpshooters, right? Yeah, sharpshooters in my go-to. Yeah, or glade stalkers. Goblins have rabble. Even ogres, right? Every army has something they can throw away. A regiment of zombies is really common in Undeadless, just to say, "Oops, free pillage token." So when you're building a tournament list, one of the missions that I think your list has to be able to play well is pillage. Like you just, you have to have a plan for seven token pillage in your list, or you're going to be at a disadvantage. For my dwarves, typically it's going to be, and, and you know, I don't give all my secrets, I guess, but you know, there's typically it's going to be two tokens in the deployment zone. Like that's going to be like, that's, you know, I, I run four sharpshooters. There's probably going to be two sharpshooters next to each token. So you have to kill not only one sharpshooter, you're going to kill two sharpshooter units per token to try and get rid of them. And then, and then they're not out of the game. They're not, they're not like a unit of hounds. They're saying, Hey, I'm going to give away 65 points. They're, they're you know, sitting there and shooting their ass off, you know, blasting your army while also scoring. So that, that's why a unit like that is so effective and, and why unit strength scoring shooting, I think I really value unit strength scoring shooting. Um, kind of That's kind of most of us have been playing now, always have it. And I think that's such a powerful tool um, because of a scenario like pillage where you can really, you know, just, just you just, it's such an advantage to, to be have that piece there is to score it and to know your opponents in a really tough position where they go, what, do I commit to trying to kill those units? Do I, do I ignore it? You know, and get shot off the table, anyways, or you know, it, it just puts your point in a really tricky position um, and really on the back foot um, when, when it comes to that. Tournament one hundred and one, you only have to win by one. Yes, that's that's a big one too. And that's actually the next thing I was going to talk about. I was going to mention is that um, I think I think the next thing when it comes to pillage beyond like okay, all their tokens are down. You probably got one or two where you wanted to. Maybe your opponent kind of messed up your plans a bit, or maybe maybe things are kind of weird. Um, you kind of the next the next question should be. What four tokens can I grab? Um, you know, you have seven tokens on the board. You should have a plan of getting four of them. Obviously, if you get all seven, great, do that too. But there should we when you deploy, you should be in your head, you should be a rough plan of okay, I'm gonna get these four tokens um when the game ends. And, and you know, maybe things change a little bit. Obviously, things don't always work the way you plan them, right? That's why you play the game, but um it should be a general idea to, to, to kind of capture four. And a lot of times, again, maybe it's one or two in your deployment zone. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's three in the middle. Maybe it's it's left side, right side, like Kyle said. I think often the game does come down to left side, right side. Um, you know, where like your opponent goes, hey, I have, I can get these two really easily. Like, okay, that's great. I don't, I don't care. I, I, you can't get, go ahead and take all three of those, you know. That's great. I want, I want to take these four and less of, of your army have fighting for these four, then that, that's even better, right? Like that's, that's something that I think uh, I want to make sure that, you know, make sure you're, you're, when you are committing that rabble unit to behind the hill, to you're behind a beast impassable to get a token, make sure you have a plan to get the other three. So um, that, that's, a, I think, a very important piece of the puzzle. And that, that, that plan, again, comes down to deployment because not only am I worried about my plan, okay, I've picked, I've picked my four, right? Like maybe my fifth one is a bonus, but I've got my core four. With experience comes the ability to pretty well assume what your opponent's core four are going to be. And then that's when you start looking at using your counter deployment units, right? Your phalanx horde, your nimble flanking unit, or maybe an artillery battery, like a triple bolt thrower list. You're, you're sitting with your... Because you have to deploy for your four. 
But you got to remember your opponent is going for his four, right? And if you don't give them a question, if you don't propose a barrier to that, and they propose a barrier to yours, you're at a big disadvantage. Yeah, totally, so if you got this yeah. big block of phalanx against a fast army, you go, okay, he's definitely going to play for the middle and the middle left. I guess my phalanx goes there. Because if you deny your opponent one token from his four, you've effectively won or at least forced a draw. So pillage is one of those where, again, I think it's a really high skill cap mission. And I think it's played in almost every tournament I've ever been to. Because you have to play tokens, you have to play deployment, and you have to understand how your opponent's going to play the mission. Because it's not like Dominate where the end goal is show up in the middle. In Pillage, you could end up fighting only on the left and only on the right. The middle could be empty. And if you didn't expect your opponent to do that, you could be sit there holding one token in the middle and being happy about it while your opponent has all the flanks and all the deployments. And then you lose, you know, five to one or five to two. Having, having had that happen to me against an Aloha list, I thought we were going to fight in the middle. And then he decided to split forces, take out both flanks, and I won that middle hard. And then I lost the game. Exactly, yeah. I think I think um, that's obviously the, the point of the game, right? You got to figure out how do you disrupt your opponent's plans? Where can you, where can, you know, which one were they counting on getting that? Hey, I can stop that, you know? Like, they're counting on that one in the back. If I can just kill that, right, then, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm in the driver's seat, right? If and I that, park I, a rabble regiment in the back corner, I'm just going to assume it's going to live because I'm not guarding it. If right. you commit a resource to kill it, my hope is that you have to commit way more resources than I invested. But if you kill it, nine times out of ten, that's your point. So I've I've lost a game by not calculating that a player was willing to sit a Draken Horde in the back. And they exactly. go, I'm, this is one of my four, so I took it. And, you know, if you don't make that calculation correctly, you you can lose the game on that. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be that tricky. It could be something as simple as like, how do I get a unit there by turn four or five to start shooting them? Right. Cause they're probably uninspired. They're sitting in the corner. They're, you know, like let's, let's, let me, how do I get my, you know, a freak over there to start fireballing for two turns and then they're dead. Right. You don't have to score it to make me not score. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes there's enough value into saying, Hey, I need, I just need a plan to kill my opponent off of this token, you know, to, to win the game. So that leads me into the, the topic I was going to bring up, Alex. And last episode, we talked about it a lot of times, but it's tempo and timing. Pillage is an interesting mission because it's so spread out. Even the most diverse board is still like two-thirds of the table. Definitely. can't not make progress towards scoring your four. But at the same token, if you're assuming this horde on the right flank is going to be what scores, and my opponent sees that, and they can concentrate fire early in the game... I've thrown away my advantage or my opportunity. So the balance in pillage is really, really deep on when do I leave cover? When do I make the break for it? When do I take a charge versus counter charge? Because one, one of the core features of pillage is if I'm in front of the objective, you have to kill me, then overrun to score. But you don't want to be the person who runs in front of the objective too early and just gets shot off or killed off, and then they get to respond. So how do you pace timing and, and pillage specifically? That's a really good point. I mean, I think I think like the te- tempo is obviously huge. I think I think um, more than tempo and time. I mean, those, those are obviously important. I think I think it's um, understanding priority too is like one of those things we talk a lot about killing units and attacking things. And and you know, one of the reasons why I think I keep bringing up like oh, how many 
scoring units you have because it's extremely important to realize again if your opponent you need to realize what are they relying on scoring what are they what are they using to score right like you see a lot of lists that have a lot of individuals that have a lot of non-scoring units they're, they're great they do a lot of things really well but um if you spend your effort and energy and, and priority on killing units that were part of the plan or, or putting, you know, damage into units that, that you're, you're like, Hey, you know, I, I, even if I lose, if I, even if we both die here, I might win this, right? Like I'll throw a unit, I'll kill a unit and then they'll kill me back. But I, I you know, I, I didn't need that unit strength. They did. So it's like a lot of times you understand when the trade piece properly um, is, is extremely important thing that I look at more, more so than the tempo and time. I think I look at like, what, what's the priority? Like, can I, can I kill this unit? you know, in enough time to, to impact the final scenario. That's a that's a great point, right? Like if I look at resources required to kill a Bloodworm Legion versus a Abyssal Warlock, one unit strength versus four, but they both score one token just as well. And if, if you're looking at, okay, I have the resources to do X amount of damage, can I remove three scoring units this turn? Can I remove two? Can I put pressure on stuff to make it weaker? Because if, if your opponent, let's say, has 10 scoring drops and you cut it in half, they can't max point the game anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So that, one of that's the ways big. goblins blues, you pointed it out, right? You just kill my hordes. I don't have enough stuff left to win. So I'm now playing to like score two and kill you off so that you only score one. So it's it's very possible to bully your opponent into not having a winnable army. Totally. I think goblins a great example too. That's that's my favorite go to goblin strategies. It just they're like, oh, kill my rabble. I'm like, yeah, I want to kill your rabble. Like, like kill, I'll kill all your rabble. Like, I have no pro- Like, you're not going to win the scenario when that happens. So, like, you know, I think some some goblin players are too quick to sacrifice the rabble. Maybe they'll like, they'll kind of push them too far ahead. Go, oh, take the bait. I'm like, no, no, that's not bait. I, I want that unit dead. Like, I, I will lost, absolutely kill them. I've lost um, a lot of games by giving people rabble on turn two. Right. And I'm like, you know how to just wait until three or four? I would have won hands down, no questions asked. Exactly, exactly, and that and that's an important thing to understand too. When when you're offering units to your opponent or offering charges, like like, can I go without this unit? Right, is that unit part of my plan? Right, is like, you know, that's an, a very important thing to realize. And I, I think I I really value that that prioritization and like you know killing things. And that's one of the things that I love. Um, if you do take individuals in your list, one of the things I I love to do is throw individuals really awkward positions like mid to late game because i want my opponents to fight my individuals at the end of the game like please kill that doesn't matter right like like that's a unit that my individual needs to die on turn five and turn six so those are resources that are going to killing a unit that was not part of my game plan for winning this game so like love it i i agree use your heroes as chef uh rob's experience at first hand i love at the end of the game I'll use war trombones as chaff. Yeah, exactly. If I don't need to kill you off the point, I can just keep you off the point. Uh, there's no dice rolls involved in having a war trombone in the way, right? I can't snakes chaff. It's just in the way. Exactly, exactly. So if you don't have to roll dice to win, don't gamble it. Yeah, exactly. With, I mean, wizards, I mean, I, I, I mean, again, I, I use my army standard. I can't tell you never tied my army standard is like run in, done a wound, and like like – it's like, oh, who cares? Why'd you do that? It's like, because oh, I don't, I don't, you know, I want, I want your unit to fight him for a turn. I'd rather than fight him than, than put, even if it's like, I'd rather him die than like putting four wounds on my unit that might die the next turn, right? It's like, it's like those are, those are value and resources that like you don't want on your score and stuff. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value to kind of making sure you're, you're considering that. So if you run units like that, I think definitely think about that. Um, you know, if you run individuals, you, you should, should more or less play your individuals in, in a manner that they need to die late game. And and that way, um, your, your stuff that matters is still scores. There's some people that that only play with scoring units, right? Uh, yeah, I know I, Dylan Scribner in, in Arkansas. 
is like that. He doesn't want to play with any individuals. I think the only other piece we didn't really hit on in pillage is just, you know, we mentioned a little bit of how to use terrain, but one of the things I like to do is put a token in the middle of a hill because I have an army that favors having hills. So for me, I'm, I'm putting the token where I want to fight, right? you got a horde of Nyad and snares and you don't put a token in every forest. Why? You know, if I'm bringing a gun line list, like I'm bringing uh, Jeff O'Neill's goblin shooting list, I'm finding the openest, dumbest, deadest places on the board. And I'm putting the token dead center in it. And I'm saying you can have it or I'll pick it up with a wing it at the end of the game. So really, you have to understand your army and then just play it correctly. One of my favorite things, right? You put, I'll put a token in the back right corner of the deployment edge I want and the back right corner of the deployment edge my opponent wants. And I'll say, here's your question. Do you sacrifice a unit to sit on it? Or do you just give it to me for free when I fly one character down there or I double time a rabble regiment for five turns and I'll pick it up. So right. just being confident with how you need to play pillage. Like my normal deployment is one in the middle on a hill two back corners and then if i won the bonus great but i i know how i want to play pillage something in the middle near a hill and then two corners i love those like random tokens that your opponents like it, it's it's the classic like heads i win tails you lose right it's like it's like you know it's it's gonna be something that favors you either way right it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's um yeah it's, it's again the opportunities like that are extremely important to find i think i think um if they have sharpshooters put it five inches behind the woods so that they can't deploy touching the woods and score it don't be afraid to ask your opponent can i measure your base or how deep is your base so if they say oh it's two and a half inches you go okay so my intention is to be five and three quarters of an inch away from this terrain exactly yeah and then they have to choose between turn turn six maybe they have to go backwards and that's the turn they can't shoot your dragon on 15 wounds off of an objective because you never want to take the gamble right you're always going to take the guaranteed point First, the gamble. So you can, as you get more confident, you can deploy tokens in a way that your opponent just doesn't like you. And that's great. Is there ever a reason for you to not lay the tokens out symmetrically? Like, is there ever a reason to go ahead and lean into whatever your opponent's doing and actually go all in on one side? Oh, yeah. If you're playing like 10 drop elite elves or you're playing um, alpha strike stuff where you want to be on one side of the table. Yeah, you're doing Keith Conroy Masters like Oops All Scout. You're doing just a whole lot of pressure application armies. Put it on one side. And just like Alex said, right, if I win the dice roll, good luck getting in because I'll just speed bomb chaff you or I'll I'll make pincer flanks and I'll have it. And if you win the dice roll, I was already going to move at the double turn one and charge on turn two anyways. So great job by you. Yeah, this it's a little riskier, right? like obviously, like because you you probably put yourself at a disadvantage if you don't win that role. But you know, again, if you have a plan and you're like, hey, you know what, I'm gonna push my army down as far anyways. Like, you know, that, that's fine. But if it's defense six dwarves you're going against, maybe you don't do that. That is good a plan. Yeah, yeah exactly. don't, don't do that because you'll bounce. Don't do that. Yeah, and, exactly. And that goes against go one of the core tenets that I try to play most missions by, which is can I win without having a dice roll? So if you put all the tokens on one side, you're committing everything to a single dice roll to start. And let's say you fail it. Okay, cool. I'm an alpha strike army. I'll go get it. There's a lot of opportunities to roll a snakes or to have a charge that should do 14 wounds, only do seven. Or you should kill that unit in one turn and it takes two. In any time you set yourself up to where I have to play flawlessly to win, 
chances are you're not going to play flawlessly. So it's, it's a very bold strategy. Now I will say if you're a super veteran player against a super new player, there's some value there. Cause you can say, I don't care what board state you can get in their head. There is a mind game element to pillage. Nothing like seeing a token and go, why did he place that there? It doesn't make any sense to me. And you throw them off their game. But you know, if you were to throw Adam Ballard and Alex Chavez on a table and throw all seven tokens on one edge, the player with that edge is probably going to win that game. It's a safe bet, I think. I mean, yeah, it's like, and that's, that's again, maybe if you, if you feel like you're behind, maybe, maybe that's a strategy like, hey, Adam Ballard's a better player than me. I, you know, I'll, I'll take that bet. I'll, I'll, I'll take the 50-50, try to, try to stack as much as I can on my side of the table. You know? And on a coin flip, I start off with the lead, right? Right, exactly, right. And I mean, if I yeah, lose, then I've already, I'm already assuming to lose anyways. So Right, right. That's that's something to think about. I mean, if you're in a bad matchup, it's a, hey, that's a really tough list I can't deal with. Let me, let me play around. I, I think those are definitely things that you should consider and, and should should play into. Plan, should, plan against a gun line, and there's lots of terrain. You put it behind the terrain, right? And if you win, well, then you just stay behind the train and hold the tokens. Uh, if it's if you lose the roll, well, you were going to have to do that anyway. You got to run the guns anyways. Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like you know. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. Like my, why not take that chance? Yeah. Exactly. It's like 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 yeah. take the fifty fifty chance to kind of get position. If you win it, you win it. Then you're you're ahead. If you don't, well, you know that the plan A was to go die anyways, right? So just do that. So I think I'd wrap up pillage from a new player standpoint as you should. At every table you play pillage, before you start putting down your tokens, identify where your guaranteed three are going to be placed on that table, like between your army, your opponent's army, where you're at. And then before you put your first model down, you should identify what your target four are going to be. And most of the time, pillage end up, and Alex will confirm, it's usually I'm playing two thirds of the board and my opponent is playing the inverse two thirds of the board. And we end up fighting over tokens in the middle usually, but it doesn't have to be that way. But if, if you're as a new player coming in and you can get to yourself, I know where I want to put my three tokens, whether it's like me where it's pretty standardized, whether it's, I want to always fight in the middle because I've got mid range shooting. It, it doesn't matter to me what you find that works for you. But if you can identify your three, that'll put you off to a good start. And then if, before deployment you can identify the four you want to fight for that'll put you to a good start and that'll give you a really good chance to make a hell of a run for a four three win it's a great way to end it all right well let's keep rolling we're going to get to uh, scenario number four dominate at the end of the game add up the unit strength of all of your units that have the majority of their footprint within 12 inches of the center of the playing area that is your victory point score. Your opponent does the same. You compare scores. So basically, you have a 24-inch diameter. It's a pretty big circle. There's one point on the table you've got to control. <laughs> You're not controlling six points. You're not controlling seven tokens. It, it can play to the more lower drop armies. Um, also, the footprints matter in this one. Uh, I think Alex would attest. you got these big, giant, heavy infantry hordes. They're harder to score. Three-unit strength regiment is the MVP of this mission absolutely yeah i mean i think think like the large infantry is very very good in, in domine regiments are really good too all regiments of regular infantry yeah domine i mean it's a, it's a pretty straightforward king of the hill style scenario right I mean, there's not too much to go over there right i mean i called it the hangover mission it's my favorite round four objective exactly exactly it's it really it obviously gives the advantage to the more defensive tougher player as dwarves obviously i'm licking my lips if i see dominate any round right it's like fantastic i'll line up 
you know, defense six regiments, phalanx regiments, wall, you know, wall to wall, and they're just going to move forward, and you have to deal with that. And Make a flying V, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mighty Ducks <laughs> taught me how to win. <laughs> you joke. That's like oh, literally exactly what you do. Like it's, it's like yeah, not even the spearhead, and then you just protect your flanks because the way to counter a big elite army and dominates to get around them. That's Kings one hundred and one. Can't score if you're dead. Exactly, and, and dominate the interesting battle is like the flank battle, right? It's like really you want to you want to ask yourself like two. There's two questions to ask when I go to dominate. It's like, can I put more units than my opponent in the middle of the board, like just flat out? Like and the answer to that is is normally yes. You're playing dwarves. You're playing. Any sort of ogre-based army answers that is probably yes as well. Um, the second question to ask is, can I stall their flanks enough to, to not <laughs> lose the middle? And, and that's kind of the game plan, you know, or vice versa, right? The other way around. Can, can I get to my opponent's like, sides? And, and that's that's what the game really comes down to. It's like, you can, can you slow down your opponent enough where they don't have enough advantage to kind of wrap around and get to your flanks of, of your, your sort of middle? So... Um, obviously, again, scenario and, and I'm not scenario, but terrain plays a big factor. Obviously, always when it comes to this, um, you want to look for things like walls and difficult terrain on the flanks, and you really want to bunker around those with your faster units to just stall out. Right? It's one of those classic cases. I mean, that, that's that's why you know speed is so good, and that's why speed is so important. Um, not even for yourself, but for your for the counter too. Right? Like if, if I'm playing elves and I want to control the middle. I'm going to put my fast units on the flank and I'm, I'm hoping to push my opponent, but you know, it, it's the, the advantage of that the other advantage of that is like, Hey, um, if I'm threatening them 20, they have to walk into that 20 inch range to even try to threaten me back. Right. And that, that's, that's something you really want to take advantage of and dominate It's like really just, just push as much units as you can in the middle and, and, and kind of play those. Dominates one of my favorite examples in Kings of rock, rock, paper, scissors, trash. The, the triangle we talked about where you've got your your alpha, your defense six, your grind, and then trash in the middle. Because yeah. it, it so clearly favors each of those four pieces differently based on the matchup you get, right? Like Alex Alex and his defense six dwarves would have a heyday against like a trash spam goblins. Because he's go, I'm just going to sit in the middle and it's fine. Um, but he's really, really nervous going into like a four dragon nimble army with shooting. Because... All they have to do is chip away one or two screens, and then you lose your whole army to flanks and rears. And then conversely, I would have I'd be the happiest person alive if I got to play dominate against four dragon elves. I'd be like, kill my regiment and then die. Right. So it it's a mission that's so honest and how you have to play it that it, it sort of like embodies the the rock paper scissors trash that i think kings has evolved into of there's four overarching metas and each one counters the other one really well which is one of the advantages again of bringing a combined arms list if you don't skew it's hard to get counter skewed but there's two things that i think about and dominate maybe differently than alex because i tend to play the sort of medium speed medium threat range medium damage armies so if i win board side I'm going to try and pick the one that gives my, because I've got the war trombone battery, the mid-range shooting or the mid-range threat, whatever you want to call it. The first thing I'm trying to identify, whether you're playing against me or me, is, is there a hill overlooking the scoring zone? Or in the scoring zone, sure, but do I have a place of elevated terrain that I can use my shooting battery or if you've got nimble flyers or whatever, do I have a place to gain elevated position to control that zone? Because unlike other missions, 
it's all, it's fixed. I know where you're going to be turns five and six. You have to be there to play. So I'm looking to control it. It's a bullseye. Yeah, it's a bullseye. So if I can find a hill, that's going to be the board state. I the board side I choose. And if you're playing against me, knowing I've got this big 17 inch threat shooting battery, or I've got a bunch of Alohi regiments trying to get above your army, maybe you pick your side to deny me that super power point, right? And conversely, you pick dominate and one side's got this huge forest blocking line of sight, put the shooting army behind it Buy yourself one turn of no shooting or cover shooting and then move into terrain. Yeah, that's a top tip. Don't give the goblin kill box a hill to explain, right? right? And it's the same for the dwarf shooting, right? If you show Alex that he's got a hill near deployment with clear line of sight to the zone, his sharpshooters probably won't shoot for one turn. And then magically they'll shoot whatever they want for five. Yeah, that's that's a great one. Usually, like, that's a good option. Sometimes you put yourself like, hey, you got to walk on the hill to get to me, right? Like, go ahead and walk on the hill and I'll shoot to do that, right? That's uh, I'll behold my majesty. How do you how do you view the extreme flanks? and dominate Alex. Cause I've seen players I've done it right. You overcommit your extreme flank and then turn six happens and you're hoping for a seven just to reach the zone. Yeah. I, 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 I generally don't play them like that. I think that's, you know, again, it, it depends your point of view, right? I, I should get, let me, say, let me say that if you're playing a defensive army, you want to play the middle, you want to avoid the flanks. If you're playing the flanks, you have to play aggressive. You just have to understand that like, you need to push it. You're going to have to probably expose yourself a little more. You might get shot a little more than you're ready to, but like that's, you just kind of have to play that flank very aggressively. There's no room to kind of play coy or play this little standoff game. Like you just have to, because like if you do that, you're just not, units aren't going to get back to the middle to matter, right? Like you just, you just like, you rather, I'd rather just lose that flank on, on like turn five than like, but you know, win it on turn seven. Like, who cares? If you win the flank on turn seven, and dominate, right? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Like, you know, like, like you just need to play aggressive and like hope your opponent is not prepared for it, or maybe just like play, play, you know, aggressive enough and and and, and just like you know, try to overwhelm them and and, and kind of turn toward the middle and just you know that you just if you're gonna play the flanks, you just need to do it very, very aggressively. I think I think just like you know stacking like maybe stacking one side. It was like kind of splitting both flanks. Put everything on one flank. Just steamroll that flank and just try to get through where you can have at least something get wrapped back around to the middle to make it back in time to score. So you've talked about the the defensive play, right? The defense six or the EOD heel or or yep. whatever sort of I can weather the storm list, the grindy list, or oops, all anvils. Really just right. wants to, I'm in the objective. If you have cover in there, extra bonus, right? Don't get shot. And if you have to get shot, get shot with cover. That's how you survive the southeast anyways. Yeah, I mean, if you're shooting player two, I mean, one thing is you, like one thing about dominance, like you can you can expect your opponent to go to the middle, right? So like it helps a lot of times when you play shooting, like you're shooting like point there. Yeah, you want to know like where where's my opponent going to put his stuff that matters, right? Like, hey, let me shoot whatever the f- going to stand in front of the zone, and that way, you know, you don't have any. You just you just like if I kill any any unit strength around the middle is is a win for you, right? So so let's do a rundown of the the archetypes, right? So you've covered anvil and grind. Get in the middle, don't die. Make a flying V so you don't lose your flanks, right? You got to counter your flanks. And if you, if your opponent really doesn't have the shooting to outweather you, there's nothing stopping you from getting in there early if they don't have like a big alpha threat that you're concerned about getting one shot, right? If you want, if you're going to win the grind, force the grind. Um, for trash, you don't have, like, our units are often big, right? Halflings, kings of men, goblins. Ratkin, the the unit footprint is large, and a lot of it's disposable. But in dominate, 
24 inches is a lot. So you, you can see dominate be like 12 unit strength to nine. And that horde made all the difference in the game. So for, for trash, you can't do the extreme flanks. So it's about trying to counter flying V you're almost just coming in and trying to make a sandwich to chip away just enough to break through and then just win the attrition battle. I've got so much unit strength now that you'll never get through it, or you can't get to my unit strength because I'm giving you all my heroes and my disposables and everything else. Alex, do you want to take alpha strike or do you want to take sort of the, the shooting approach to this mission? Uh, I, can, I can talk alpha strike. I, I played alpha strike a bit in the past. Um, I've lost to it plenty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, like I said, alpha strike, I, I kind of touched on it earlier when I was saying like play aggressive, like, Dominate is never. You definitely want to play super aggressively if you are Alpha Strike, because um, you know your your opponent's plan. Again, if you're playing Alpha Strike, your opponent's plan it means is to get in the middle, right? And walk the tough things in there. I tend to, to play again, balance like loading one flank with more power, so much power that they're just not going to be able to handle it, right? That's what you want. You want so much ability to push in and kind of do that, and also threaten like flanks and whatnot, right? I mean, a lot of, one of the deadliest things you can do is is again those flyers on the flanks, but they, they also threaten the middle, right? Like that's a, that's a deadly thing about a flyer that's kind of in that like one third spot. And I think we'll talk about this more probably when it comes to control, but um, quick, quick kind of shameless plug here. Um, Tom Annis wrote a great article on Dash 28 called the um, the Rule of Thirds in Kings of War. And I don't know if you guys have read that article or not, but I think it's a fantastic article because it talks a lot about the power of fighting for, for the thirds of the battle. And it kind of uses a, you know, the, the, the visual of that, like where, why that, that makes sense. And I think in, in scenario like dominate, you know, that those, those third points, right. If you kind of measure in the third points, that unit can, can very quickly score the, you know, from one, in one turn, if you have a unit that's on that third point, they in one turn, they can score the middle while also simultaneously threatening the flanks as well. So it's, they kind of unlock this potential where they just have this, this giant list of options, especially if they're a fast unit, if they're, you're playing Alpha Strike and they're, they're, let's say they're like an order, a horde of Dracons, or if they're, you know, Forsaken Knights or some, something that's super quick that's going to hit really hard. It's like you want them to have options. And, and that's, that's um, you kind of want to put some, some really fast team units in those areas with some kind of faster, nimble stuff on the sides. And then kind of, again, you're, you're kind of, um, that's where you have room to kind of sprinkle your other fast units, whatever side you think is, is you see a potential weakness or, you know, advantage in terrain, whatever, whatever you, you see after that, you have to, have to play that. But, um, you know, I think, I think Alpha Strike is very important to identifying, you know, where, where can you kind of give yourself options? Because again, um, the more options you have, the just better decisions you're going to end up making once you identify those and kind of gone through that. So I think with Dominate, again, just like identifying those spots, playing those, and again, taking those flanks, knowing that, hey, I can, I can turn, if I can get, if I can destroy my opponent's flank on turn five, you know, threaten his flank for turn six and turn seven, like that, that's enough. You know, even if it's just turn six, like all you need is one flank charge on turn six to kill a big unit. That's enough to turn the tide right there. So, you know, it's just... And you bring up a, a really good point that a lot of newer players make the mistake, and we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, um, it has to go with timing, right? Like, if you're going to play this big Alpha Strike army and you've got all your scary stuff, and then you slam into me on turn two, I'm going to kill you off the table before you can score. But if you're putting all this pressure, all this pressure, and you're supporting it, usually Alpha Strike has like a shooting element or they've got something chipping away. And then you just keep increasing the diversity of your flanks to where now you've got stuff in my front, both flanks and the rear on like turn five. The chances of me surviving that turn six are low. 
now you got to do math, right? If I've got 40 unit strength in the middle and you can only kill seven of it, you're going to have to go sooner, but I probably don't have a counter kill. So you, right. you still got to play the game and you got to, you got to think it through. But a big mistake in dominate that I see alpha players make is they try to win dominate on turn three and then they lose it on turn six. Yeah. You don't so, need to yeah. win until the game's over. Exactly. Right. And like, that's, yeah, and, and again, you, you typically with Alpha Strike, you need either some healing power, you need something, or like shooting power, you need something to like win the grind in the middle. Put, put that stuff in the middle, right? Put maybe like a weird unit in the middle that can kind of hold off for a while and like not really die. And then like, you know, they're there to hold that spot where your Alpha unit can get in the flank, you know, those kind of things you should look for. Um, yeah, you, you again, Alpha's all about the hitting hard, the flanking, you know, getting those right opportunities. Um picking the right units to be cheap and defensive, which Alpha Strikes usually have some some weird, either cheap chaff or some resiliency. I mean, that, one of the things that I think that makes a good Alpha Strike list, like I think um, I think Order of the Green Lane right now is such a phenomenal Alpha Strike list. I think they're really underutilized because they have an amazing staying power. They have healing, they have regeneration on a lot of units. Like, it's just a lot of things that, like, you know, you're like, oh, that unit should be dead in, in two goes. Like, you know, take your traditional Vanger list, which, which is like, you know, you're, you shoot the cows like, oh, those knights are tough. The, the mounted suns hit hard. You know, those are great. Those are all true things. But, you know, end of the day, it's like when, when they unit take damage, it's going to die eventually, whether it's two turns, three turns. But if you have a unit that can heal, then you, you've sort of flipped the script and said, hey, no, 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 you're, you're need to kill me. You can't just like chip away at my unit. You have to win that battle. So so um, I think when it comes to scenarios like this, you want those units in the middle to like hold on, they can kind of fight and even kill stuff. Like they can fight out their points and, and kill stuff and, and, and die eventually. Maybe that's still fine. If they kill double the unit strength, it's like, Hey, you, you've now traded up, right? Where like, Hey, I can, I can attack you, kill you, you know, and then attack and kill another unit. And then, and then like, even if you kill me that after that, it's like, Hey, I, I've won that trade. So like looking for those opportunities you can get good trades and, and what your opponent can do to you. I mean, yeah, he just hasn't done obviously, but I think it's something that like, yeah, you really want to make sure your opponent, like what can your opponent do to you that, that, you know, if, if you charge It's an important that. distinction to bring up in these control type missions that aren't as important in the other missions we're going to talk about in the other episodes is a lot of times in Kings, you're looking at trading points, right? I've got a 70 point hero. I traded for your 110 point unit, or I traded a, 200 point horde but i took out two of your 200 point hordes in exchange in the control type missions obviously value is there but you're looking to trade unit strength above all else right did i use did i risk zero unit strength so let's say wardrobe bones did i risk zero to kill three of robs or four of robs huge win conversely if you have to send in a horde of alohi to break a regiment of rabble even though you killed it you've risked more unit strength than you killed and my counterpunch could see me win that trade so in the control missions especially sometimes units that i would normally throw away or use super aggressively end up hiding behind terrain until turn six yeah so you you have to remember you're trading unit strength and control missions not points definitely yeah i mean the ones we're talking about today the the Dominate is obviously the most unit strength focused, I think, of the scenario. I think it's the ones where yeah, it matters. Because it doesn't care how many drops you've got. It doesn't care how exactly. spread out your army can be. It goes in the middle, most points, wins, handshake, done. Exactly. And and, and that's that's it. I mean, that's it's really that simple, I think. That said, the best way to learn how to get good at Dominate is just play a couple times and, and stress test your army. Stre- understand how fast you are. See where you're going to go and and... Really, you need to understand how wide 
your specific army can go and dominate and still collapse the score. Because if you scrunch too much, your opponents will flank you. If you spread out too far, you either won't all be able to fit, or one of the things that I like to do, right, you break a hole in the line, and then I'll just throw away a unit so that your entire horde can't overrun and score. So you need to make sure you're not in a position where your opponent can box you out. And I was going to leave Dominate with uh, one of the units I think that struggles the most in Dominate is heavy, heavy surge armies against fast guys. Because if I can just win the box, if I just get in Dominate and you can't score, it's a it's a hard day to be a surge player because you get to go five and then I might go 15 or 10, 15 or 20, and all of a sudden I own the dominate zone. And if you move into range, I'll just charge you out of it. And then I'm on the edge. So I, I do feel for heavy surge players, like uh, there's some undead who do really zombie heavy. Um, there's some EOD players who are really into the oops all skeletons right now. Even just rocks, just trees and rocks. If you don't scout well or if you're worried about scouting, you can get boxed out of dominate more so than some other control missions. Like it's really hard to box somebody out of control or how to box them out of pillage, but I can box you to dominate because I know where you have to land. So it's, it's just something to be cautious of in deployment. But I think that's my last tip is if you can box them out, box them out. And if you can't, or if you can be boxed out, just deploy in a way that prevents it, make sure you've got an answer. If someone wants to shove you out of deployment. That's a good way to end dominate. There's nothing left. It's, it's a circle. And next, we've got scenario six, control. At the end of the game, divide the board into six two-foot by two-foot squares and add up the total unit strength of each player's units within a square. If a unit is straddling the line between two or more squares, it is considered to be in whichever square is covered by the majority of its base. If there is no clear majority, the owning, pl- the owning player must choose which square the unit is in after move, movement order, or group is completed. The player who has the highest unit strength in each square controls it. Victory points are awarded at the end of the game as follows. Two victory points if you hold the square in the middle of your opponent's half of the board. One victory point for each other square you hold. So that's a potential seven, right? There's six squares. Five uh, five of them are worth one to you, and one is worth two to you. So it's a potential seven points. That's right. Control is probably one of my favorite scenarios. I mean, I think... um... To start with, I, I think it's kind of dominate plus. It's kind of the way I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this there, and I think I think that's the way I look at it when I when I go to play. It's like the the objective again. The, everything's worth one point except for your opponent's half of the table, which is very similar to a dominate style scenario. You're kind of near that center point, and you're fighting for that center because because you know your opponent wants to get in your center half, and you want to get in your opponent's center half. So really, it kind of becomes a version of dominate, but it's a lot more interesting version of it, in my opinion, because the sides matter for a lot more. There's kind of um, I think I think it flips the script a little bit on dominate. Where now it's like now I think the number of scoring units matters a lot more because you know it's it's going to say oh I can split off my three units and score three points, whereas your one unit can score at most two points. So so now. You know, three units to score one can beat one unit that scores three. So that that's an interesting twist on it. And I think again, to me, I think I think when I look at the scenario again, that that center point is to me the, the crux of like the battle. I think I really, really, I actually like I really deployed, I probably deployed dominate and, and um, control almost identical when when it comes to, like my deployment in my head. I'm thinking the same thing. Like I want, I need to win this middle. I need to push up. The only difference is going to be a little more aggressive about it. I can't just kind of sit back in my side of the table. But you really are fighting for that center because that center is so important. 
I think you can kind of, again, if your opponent ignores that center, you're, you're kind of in a big advantage right away. At least that's how I feel when I play scenario. What, what do you guys think? Control's another mission where a lot of times if you look at the tables or you play it enough, you go, okay, I'm going to win the right flank. There's no way he commits the resources or the board's bad for him, whatever. He's going to win the left flank. So what are we left with? We're left with long dominate. Exactly. Winning the flanks is super important because obviously they're a point each, right? So if, if you've got an army that goes, I can't win the middle against Alex, but I can win all four flanks, you still win the game. So there, you can't ignore the flanks because the points are despaired in favor of the one-point objectives versus the two. Um, and I've, I've won plenty of games where my opponent gets my middle, but I'm able to pick up three points or four points as a result of them over-committing for the two, right? They're chasing the glory and they, they lose the objective. But a lot of times in control, how I look at it, is the first thing obviously i'm playing trash right so i'm going to try and score a cheeky objective in all my corners here's a hidden unit here's a here's a thing it gives me what pillage gives me but for free can i hide a cheeky unit all the way in the back yes or no against your list so if you're doing alpha i won't do that because in this game it rewards you for killing me um but the next thing you do is you try to figure out which flank you can win and then for me the goal in control is never how do I win all seven points? If I get all seven, great, right? Maybe a flying unit on turn six goes and scores or win blast, which is the bane of control missions. And we've somehow avoided talking about it because there's no token to keep you from being wind blasted. So it's just annoying. Um, more so in control than anything else because you can ride that line and be wind blasted off. But let's say you're going to win the middle and the right the balancing act for control becomes how many resources do you commit to holding the middle versus overpowering the flank? To me, I kind of tie back to what I said earlier, that, 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 that rule of thirds again, that like that third of the table, like in, in control, it becomes even more apparent because that third of the table is, is a, the literal divisor between the zones, right? So you want units on that line, right? So if you imagine, you know, 24 inches, measure that and kind of draw a line through the table um, on each side. You, we, like that's what you want. You, your most important unit is to sit on that line because that unit has the option of scoring basically any zone they want, right? If you if yep. you move up. If you can sit of, in the crosshairs. Yeah, if you, if you, can, yeah, if you can literally sit on the crosshairs, you can be in four zones at once and, and literally pick and say, okay, I'm, I'm literally equally divisible between these four zones. I can pick which zone I'm in. That's what you need. You need your most important unit in that spot. And and, and to do that, that means that they need to be alive. So so you need to have a unit there that's just planning to, to, you know, basically kick some ass and actually do some damage and to stay alive through it. Um, so so those, those again, I think your two units really fall in those, those zones. And then you need to decide after that, you know, what are you doing? You know, are you putting your most two important units there? Are you, are you going to play for the heavy middle and push up the middle? Are you going to stack on a flank and try to sweep and kind of go towards the middle that way? Um, either way, your, your goal should be to get that opponent's middle. Um, again, you should also prevent them from getting to yours. So I really like. I really see that as a as if a. If you trade word. middles, it's the same as if you held your own. It doesn't. Right. Exactly. Like I'd rather. I like. You know. Again, it's. it's I want to push forward. I want to play aggressive. I want to. I want to fight my opponent on his half of the table. Right. Because if 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 that if that's if that happens, right, then I score his points and he can't get to my if two. If you points. can't cross the middle line, my zones are off limits. Um, exactly. I do changed how I target priority and control versus say dominate or uh, even pillage. So if we recap dominate, I care about your highest unit strength block. A four unit strength horde is worth a lot more to you than four monsters. 
right? There's less total nerve. I'm going to kill the horde and control the, in my mind, the best unit in control is a Pegasus or a wing it or some stupid, cheap, stupid, fast flying nimble monster or character that goes, oops, I scored. Oops. I found a spot, right? Uh, Kings of men have access to like six Pegasus heroes with the wizards and the captain or the heroes. Goblins have wing it. Uh, dwarfs don't get one, so they hate it, but they have lots of things that kill those. So if I'm playing my flying monsters, like my wingets, I oftentimes use them hyper aggressively to do lots of wounds and strip unit strength in control. It may be better for me to never use them in combat, to just hide them, hide them, hide them and scatter to the wind and score. Because that gives me the ability to apply pressure to three zones. Or if you have one flyer, I can just trail it with two, right? I can mirror your one flyer with my two. And wherever he lands, I'll beat you. So you can you can use them defensively. So if you're playing someone like Alex's list, we'll just use dwarves as an example again. My sharpshooters are not going to be trying to rip into the rabble horde where three unit strength. Because in the overall world of the grind, the grind's going to come down. But if he can pick off a lucky shot into a flying winget, that number of scoring units and then more importantly in this mission it's number of mobile scoring units because if i've got 10 scoring units and they're all tied up in the middle it's effectively the same as if i had one it's just it's a blob that's worth 12 unit strength but if i've got three wingets or in in this example any flying unit strength monster even if we're tied up in the middle turn six this one goes here, this one goes here, this one goes here, and I've put a unit strength in three different quadrants. You can use them to reinforce or, or to deny. Um, so it, it really becomes important that you prioritize what resources you're going to kill, right? If, if you even trade two unit strength in the middle to kill a flying one, if you're already winning the middle, that's still a win, even though you, you traded more points and you gave up more unit strength, because now I can't go win that back right that you had to abandon for free. You you just always want to make sure that you're systematically removing the biggest advantage your opponent has to the mission. Because if you get rid of my one flyer, you can hold your corner with one unit strength instead of a draw. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's again, that's the advantage of speed, right, in these, in these scenarios, like the options you present yourself. I, I've, I've fallen for this trap a lot, again, where it's like, if you don't plan enough early where your unit's going to end up, you can end up with too much unit strength in one spot, one zone. And I think that's one of the major pitfalls. You win the middle by by eight unit strengths, and then you lose the you lose the game because you lost five to five to three or five to two, and you're like, well, exactly right. Like like oh, I'm really. And that's one thing. Like you don't want to overcommit to the middle because like again, I like if you take it so far. I've been like, yeah, fight the middle, fight the middle, fight the middle. It's like you're like, I'm going to put my whole army here. I'm going to blow through my opponent and I, and I score their middle. Like, great. But like, if you didn't control the stuff around it and you let your opponent kind of sneak around you, then you could lose very easily. And I, I know, again, it's one of those things that as a slow player, you, you learn very quickly. Like, you know, you don't have, you don't, you don't just get to one turn to say, yeah, I, I can just turn my wing and just fly 20 because that's what you do. Um, you don't get to do that. You get to turn and you move forward. And, that, <laughs> and that's where you are. And that's, if that doesn't take you another zone, then you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're in trouble. So you're, you need to plan where, like, where can my unit be where turn six they can turn and, and score a different zone? And that's that's just something that you get used now, to control score. more so than dominate or, or pillage or some of the other missions. Um, Windblast is way more 
game deciding. So King of Memphis, I played control against the only other list in the room that I didn't want to play control in, which was Jeff O'Neill's Goblin Trash. I had top of turn. Top of turn, I win the game. Unless he win blast two units off. If he gets one, it's a draw. If he gets both, he wins. Well, he wins both win blasts. So it went from a win to a draw to a loss because of two characters with win blast five. Because in control, you've got to ride that edge. But if you're even a millimeter majority, you're no longer able to pick where you score. So it doesn't matter that I had awesome intentions or that I'm here. It's win blast decided you're there now. And in pillage, you have this huge, you know, it's almost a seven inch scoring circle in diameter across the token from edge to edge in dominate it's a 24 inch middle and you've got a lot of units being able to block each other up in control so many times it's a single regiment on a corner straddling the line that decides if i'm going to win or lose the game and wind blast is a terrifying reality to control so if you have an army that can get it on the cheap or gets it by default take it it it'll come in handy especially if you can get bottom of the turn it's it's almost kind of bad though if you get top of the turn because then your opponent just walks back in yeah i think i think um control again I, it, i'm back and forth control controls us there where i agree like going second is very cool in control because you can re- react to your opponent say oh but you can't put the you're, priority you're gonna put on. there i'm gonna put three units right there and i'm gonna score that one over you that that's great but at the same time i talked about how important it is to win that that middle right and, and that often favors going first pushing forward and fighting your opponent on that that middle line and that comes down to the list you play right if you play a, a very reactive list which i consider most shooting armies to be hyper reactive whatever you do i'll respond to it by picking priorities and going going second in pillage probably doesn't hurt you or pillage rather uh in control doesn't really hurt you that much because your opponent not only has to start moving out early to win the middle you get your shots, you get your priorities, etc., and then you have your wind blast. Whereas if you're playing like a uh, an alpha strike army, I don't want to go second in control with alpha strike. I need to win exactly where I need to win, and I need to do it sooner than later. And then you wind up with like trash armies or high defense armies like yours, Alex, and it, it sort of becomes a damned if I do, damned if I don't. Like neither option's really ideal for my goblin army. But neither option right. is bad. Like I'll I'll play it either way. I agree. I mean, I think it's like I think the main thing is to think about those things. Like you want to be thinking about that in, in um, and control. and again deploy like you're not going to get to choose. Exactly. Always assume your opponent's going to pick board edge and first activation. Just always assume that when you play, and it'll help you win a lot more games. And that's even one of those things that, like, you know, mo- yeah, most people pick first turn when they win, right? Like, if you plan to go second, like, you know, um, like, that's that's a lot of times your opponents will just take first anyways. And you go, okay, yeah, great. you almost I, always I, get what you want. Yeah, it's like, I plan for this anyways. Like, this is fantastic, right? And, and, and you know, obviously good players will kind of, you know, assess. Maybe, like, maybe I'll, very... I'll suss out if you have seven wind blast, maybe you don't get to go last. Right, exactly. Like some right? Night Stalker lists or... Or there's some goblin armies and even some EOD lists. Uh, Surge is something you want to be careful giving them the last turn. Because they they don't care about it showing you a rear or a flank anymore with that wild surge out of nowhere. So especially in something like control, 
Adam Ballard wouldn't care if he had to surge a bone giant into my quadrant, giving me a rear charge. He goes, but I, I won. So who cares if you get to kill it on turn eight when the game's over? Like exactly, if, he, if he dies right. in the lore, who cares? I want the mission, right? Exactly. And there's a lot of times you'll see things like, you know, maybe you put a unit in a way where your opponent can't overrun into the zone. There's things like that. I mean, we, didn't, we didn't talk about that much with like pillage. I think pillage applies a lot more where things like, you know, when you take a token, you don't, you don't, you don't just want to like park your unit like, on, you know, three inches behind. Yeah, you want to, you want to be in front of it. You, you want to be, be preventing it. contesting. Exactly, exactly. Like you want to put yourself in a position where you're, you're basically your ass of your unit, the back end of your unit, is three inches, barely three inches from the token and scoring it, right? Because that means that the width of your unit, which can be what three inches usually, four inches. Uh, yeah, my intention is to be a millimeter within. Exactly. So, so now your opponent might be able to kill your unit, but they they're only four inch over. That. Yeah, they're only going to score that if they roll that overrun, and 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 you've now taken what was might have been a sure loss until like now it's a 50-50. Now it's a it's a you know one third two third. Like you, you've turned you know those, those small odds play a big factor in the, in the grand scheme. Of yeah, things. no dice tell stories, right? So sometimes they get a six inch overrun, and you go well. But other times they roll a one. Exactly, exactly. And, and if you've if you've made them, you know, make that decision, like if they if they have to make that decision, like that, maybe they don't charge you. Maybe they go, oh, you know, that's too risky. I don't play that way. I'll, I'll do something else, or I'll, I'll roll another dice. And then it's just like it's so one of the things that you need to we, be. We've playing. talked about the other the other missions from the mindset of you only have to win by one. I know we talk about control the same way, but it's a it's a different mission. So I'm going to hit you with a hypothetical, Alex. Sure, I'm sure. playing you, my goblins versus your dwarves. Your okay. dwarves probably can't chew through my goblins fast enough to win my middle, and my goblins aren't going to kill your defense six block to win your middle. Is there a scenario from a competitive standpoint, again, newer player, when you get better competitively, where I should be aiming for a draw? I generally say no. I, I don't like to play for a draw. <sighs> yeah, I mean, like, you're, you're probably right in that, that this should be the answer, should be yes. I mean, obviously, it's like, you sometimes you get screwed and you're against one of the uh, counter player who always beats you or whatever. Right. Maybe a draw is your result, but it, in a in a normal matchup, control is one of those missions where it's really easy to play control for a draw. I hold my side, you hold your side. Let's shake hands. Right. Pillage yeah, I, doesn't I, encourage I, that. Dominate doesn't encourage that. Control does. I, so I bring it up. Yeah, it does. I, no, it's an interesting point. I, I don't play that way, so it's hard for me to like put myself in that mindset. I, I tend to think like there should be some game plan to win, and, and, and like. I usually will play that, like, and it maybe maybe it puts the odds against me. I'd, r- I'd rather play a game where, like, maybe I'm I'm forty percent to win, sixty percent to lose, than a game where I'm one hundred percent guaranteed to tie. So you're uh, you're of the mindset of if we're gonna be in a position where the correct answer is play for a draw, maybe I'm I'm just trying to figure out what's my play to get the tiniest win. Exactly, exactly. I'm looking for every edge I can get, and I, I think I think that's something. I don't know. I, that's kind of my mindset. I think I think. I think when you start thinking that way, you start seeing new opportunities. You start seeing new strategies. That's when you come up with like I, I don't I don't think the two the time mindset to me is, is very limited. I like to play a little bit more open, where I'm like, hey, let's let's look for opportunity. Maybe maybe it's a crazy charge here that if it works, I, I've cracked open the middle. I've, I've now done something that he wasn't expecting. You know, what, whatever. What is yeah. it? Right? You make and, the play where you go before I roll the dice. Let's shake hands because it's <laughs> going to decide a whole I mean, lot I, right I, now. Right. I mean, and again, sometimes it's not that obvious from the get go, but like, 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 um, 
you know, but like let let's let's at least come up with a game plan that like where we, we can take some risks and, and potentially you know come up ahead versus like a hey let's let's kind of go for John. That's, and that probably sounds weird coming from a dwarf player because I know it's like you're like hey you yeah you're take risk bro right it's like you're like what risk are you taking your doors right but like I mean some door, the interesting thing about dwarves is that like you actually take a lot of risks in the sense that like you because when you're playing dwarves. And, and again, this is kind of the mindset of things. Like a lot of times, I'm giving you the charge. I'm saying, "Hey, I'm going to walk into your charge range." So there's, a, there's risk there where I'm saying, "Hey, like you're welcome to charge me and, and potentially kill my units and like murder me, right?" And, well, like, in those slow armies, like, you're you're telegraphing your your intention from deployment. Like you can't exactly untelegraph exactly. that you're going for that side of the board. There's there's no oops tactical redeploy. Your tactical redeploy is I'm going to be here anyways. Right, exactly, and that's, so, and that's like. But no, some, I, I just some... thought I'd bring it up because controls one of the few missions really in the game that presents a draw state as a valid outcome. Like invade doesn't do it. Token missions really don't do it well. That most things in this game are odd numbered. Right, but from deployment, control is always three to three. Right, I agree. I think yeah, you're right. You're, it, it is a yeah. It's obviously super symmetrical and and. Um, and you can play that way, but I, I I don't think so. I don't think that's an interesting way to play. I think I think um, and again, there's 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 still there's still unit strength imbalance too. So right, so so if you make it to your opponent's half the table, like there's there's going to be some unit strength imbalance there that's going to present an opportunity, right? Whether it's it's you know I can I can push all my rabble hordes you know to the right flank. We're like that sounds stupid, but like hey maybe maybe it makes sense. We're like hey I can, I can get these two points, and and you couldn't push me on the left side, so I win. You know I win. You know, by a win. one point advantage, yep. right? Win by so, one. The, yeah, a small exactly. win is still a win. Yeah, and, and that's what I'd encourage you to do. If, if you're in a situation where you're thinking about drawing, I'd say like, look for the where's the imbalance, right? Where, where is it? is it in unit strength? Is it in number of units? Is it in in shooting? Where where can I shoot to make the most impact to like skew that that unit strength? Where is it, right? And I'd say just look for that and just really hone in on it. I think you know again, I, I when if you, if you aim for a small you win, you think the worst case is a small loss, right? Like the right. worst case scenario is a minor loss, and there's people who've won GTs with a minor loss. That, that's the people won masters with minor losses. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that that's that's kind of my point. It's like, yeah, I think I think I think you need to risk it a little bit, and you know, I'm very much that luck favors the bold kind of mentality. Where like try to look for that scenario, take take your chances, you know. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying throw away the game or you know take some kind of crazy risk. I mean, some people play that way, and that's fine, but. Um, you know, in general, I'm, I'm more of a like find find a, a plan that that makes sense and look for, look for the imbalance and, and push on that and press on that because there's there's always one even in the most symmetrical scenario there's an imbalance somewhere that you just need to figure out and, and if you can't find it you know consider go back to the army list creation phase right figure out what, what like how do I create more imbalances right what, what do I need yeah your your answer and my answer line up pretty well so it's it's usually the there's never a, a perfect symmetry. So at some point we're going to take it. And if, if you're risking a lot of times when you, when you sit down and you look at it, what you think is a draw is actually, I could still send this one unit in. And if it fails, we're still at a draw. So why would I not take that gamble? What you don't right. want to do is gamble away a draw for a major crushing defeat from a tournament standpoint. You know, you, if, if you've played four rounds in and you're like, Oh, I agree with that too. That, that's yeah. a, that's a, Sometimes a, the table says take the draw and, and count your, your lucky stars. But a lot of times, uh, and I, I feel it more with new players, you you feel like you're outmatched or you're against a, a player or an army you don't understand and, and you try to go for a draw because the scenario gives it to you and you go, I'll just play really defensive on the border. 
And then the more experienced player goes, I'll find an opening. Mm-hmm. And then they win by one. And it's, right. it's happened and, to me and I've done it to people. So that, that's why right. I wanted to pose that question to you. I just thought it was interesting. I agree with you too. And I think, I think like to me, at least my mindset is like, if you're, if you're the opponent looking for that advantage, you're more likely to find it. Right. If, if you're said, Hey, I want to play for the draw. I feel like you're less likely to see those opportunities and openings that are going, Hey, I want to play for the minor win. And, and like you said, and, it, and that is important to recognize like, yeah, like if it's not to say, Hey, if I take this crazy risk, I get a minor win. If I don't, I get a major loss. Like that's not that's not a fair trade. Like look look for it in a way that that's as risk free. Yeah, as possible. And, and I'll take a draw against like a good player high round. I'll I'm happy to settle for a draw. I'll turn five, turn six if the things went my way or not my way. But right. you don't want to be fishing for it at deployment. Yeah, I mean draws are pretty rare in Kings. That's one thing. Like you think they'd happen more often, but like I mean, I'm curious if there's any statistics. And I don't know. Draws are pretty rare. Yeah, you really don't say like you think they happen more often. They really don't happen that often in Kings. Like, it's you, usually just a close win and a close loss. Right, exactly. It's just so many uh, random factors that, that come into play. That, that I think we've covered control in a way. I mean, pillage really set the precedent for the other missions. Rob, did we miss something great? Are we are we omitting some obvious things here? No, I, I think uh, you guys did a great job. You know, it's important to to note on the first three that we talked about the number of victory points available is set it's a known factor and so now let's get into scenario number 12 salt the earth and this is one where depending on how the either you or your opponent plays you will actually change how many points are available at the end of the game and that's part of the strategy the hardest mission to max points before rolling off the two sides place one objective marker in the exact center of the board and then the players take it in turns placing objective markers until both players have each placed three objective markers roll off to see who places the first objective after a player has completed their turn they can choose to destroy an objective marker which they control except for the central objective repeat this process at the end of each of the players turns until the end of the game destroyed objective markers are removed from play and have no influence on the rest of the game victory points are awarded at the end of the game as follows one victory point for each objective marker still in play that you control. Potentially, at the end of the game, if six tokens are destroyed and the central one's still alive, you could have one victory point available. Or you could have seven. So it's a wide swath. It's pillage with lots of extra steps. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of steps, a lot of interesting, interesting situations you can run into, right? Um, my biggest gripe with this scenario is, is the fact that you can basically destroy tokens starting turn one. It doesn't punish the player who wants to be alpha from turn one deploying on all their tokens, blowing it up, and then turn two playing alpha anyways. Yeah, I mean... My favorite revision that I've ever seen talked about is any destroyed token that points go to the middle. I kind of like that. Because then if, if I blow up three tokens as an alpha player, now the middle's worth four, and I still have to go win it. Yeah, it is. It is weird that the points just go into smoke, right? Like you they said, poof. yeah, they poof. They're just gone. You just—that's a point no one's going to get, right? No matter what happens, right? And again, I think we've all been there. Where like sometimes you destroy a token that you regret destroying. You're like, oh, shit. like I didn't. Your, your opponent comes in, and then you don't die, and you're like, oh, damn it. You're like, wait, my rabble just killed a, a tree man. What just happened? Like that wasn't supposed to happen. Like now, now I'm winning this yeah, point. Yeah, the like, dragons bounced, and you're like, dragons don't bounce. Exactly. So uh, now you're on the back foot for no reason. 
Right, right. And having said that, there is a lot of planning that can go into Salt the Earth. It does reward you for planning very, very well. If you if you are able to anticipate, you know, you go back to that scenario of, of let's, let's do the math on that four versus three. We talked about pillage, right? Hey, I pick my four. Your opponent picks their four. Um, if you correctly identify the four of your opponent and you act quick enough to destroy one of those, well, now the game's a 3-3. Three, three. So it, on their best-case scenario now, they're, they're now going to draw. Yeah, they're you fighting to draw. Right. And, and, and you destroy another one, okay, now you're winning the game. So your opponent's plan, you, you kind of you can really throw it awry. So you kind of added a layer of death here, you know, that extra step of, of you know, not only have to pick your four to win, you have to say, what four can you pick and also prevent your opponent from destroying um, that you can do that. Now, the center... Again, is one. It, it comes end of the game. It comes the center to the center of the table. There's so many scenarios that really depend on the center of the table, and I think it's a good thing. I think I think it, that's the one kind of consistency. You know, if you, if you want to come up with one plan to fit all plans, like you should fight for the center of the board. Learn how to win the middle, and the rest just sort of follow suit, right? It, exactly. Yeah. If you if you need if you if you want to be a one trick pony, figure out how to win the center of the board, and, and you're kind of okay on on all three. Yeah, of these you can win like four out of seven matches. Right, exactly. At least three of the four we're talking about today, like you can kind of win if you win the center board. Because again, salt the earth is yeah, the center objective is not going away. So, so that's that's the only certainty here is that like if you're planning your four, definitely make one of them the center. Right? I think I think that's a safe bet to start with, and then just figuring out you know which fast elements can get to which side first. To- I tend to deploy salt the earth very similar to pillage, um, with the sole exception of. Sometimes you get the board edge you don't want, and you go, okay, that's a deliberate blow up token. I'm going to leave something there. And the most important part, until someone pressures it. Don't blow it up early. Make them commit a resource to blowing it up. So like a token in the flank, I think I'm going to lose. If you never send someone to threaten it, it's like the goalkeeper who never actually picks up the ball. Like I don't, I don't have to do anything until you make me. So a lot of times a player will be like, fine, I'll send the Drakens. They come pressure it. I blow up the token. Then they go, oh, surprise. And then they turn and they go play the game. But I bought a, I bought a safety turn or two, right, of, of making the compressor. Because if they ignore it, sweet, I win a pillage token. It's something where in like regular pillage, maybe they don't pressure it at all because they know I'm going to win it. Whereas in Salt the Earth, maybe I do go pressure it with that dragon or that draken because then I'm going to gauge if you blow it up or not. And then if you blow it up, it's effectively the same as if I tied your unit strength, right? The, the point is off the board, so I made you remove your own score by applying pressure that I never actually committed. So it, it has some interesting counterplays that pillage doesn't present. Yeah, I think it, it definitely rewards. Um, I think a lot more of the the, the kind Correction. of strong units. Yeah, I was just saying, like the, having the ability to kind of like th- you know threaten multiple like you know your rabble claiming objectives. So the ability to threaten more objectives I think is better in this because. Because it lets you play flexibly. If you're quick enough to say, "Okay, well, I'm going to push for these five objectives, and I'm going to figure out like where where is my opponent putting pressure right now." If you're if you're let's say bigger army or the sort of maybe faster army, in a way we can kind of put more position. I do think in this this scenario does favor faster opponents because because again you have the kind of ability to to adapt and, and threaten, and again sometimes you scare your opponent to burn a token. You go, "Oh well, I'm, I have no intention of going there." Right? So it's like you know, it's like, "Oh, I was going to turn around, I want to fly somewhere else." It's like now their unit stuck doing nothing right so it's like there's a lot of things you can do with, with speed in this scenario we're kind of making making it you know 
advantage of just really outplaying your opponent and kind of burning tokens. I agree. There's something a lot of people miss in this, and I, I don't mean this in a derogatory way at all, but a lot of people forget that the point of this mission is to blow up your opponent's four and win your four, right? So a lot of people will hold their objective and they're like, so let's use orcs, right? I've got a giant long axe horde with a war drum. That, that thing's not going to get killed. But if you're not more than three inches away, like the front of your unit must be more than three inches away from that token because you're only unit strength four. If I double charge you with a rabble horde and a rabble regiment, I can blow up the token you're defending and then let you kill me to your heart's content. Right. The number of times in this mission I've slammed in a wing it into melee to do zero wounds and break a tie so I can blow up your token. It's a feel bad moment when you realize that your opponent's going to blow it up, whether you win or lose the fight. And not a lot of missions in Kings do that. Cause like in pillage, if I slam that in, you go, okay, thanks. And you just kill my unit strength. But in Insult the Earth, I'll slam it in, suicide, blow up your objective. Even if you killed everything I committed, you've now lost one of your four. Yeah, and I think that, that goes back to what we were kind of talking about earlier, earlier where like you need to space, space yourself where your opponents can't get into combat to, to claim objective. And this is not stuff that you should just intuitively pick up on in the beginning, right? No, none of us are sitting here going, well, that guy didn't measure three and a quarter inches from his frontage. This is stuff that uh, I've, you just lose lots and lots and lots of times to the same silly mistakes, or you fluke your way into a win by going, oh, wait, I have five unit strengths to your four? I'll blow up that token, bro. Exactly. It's just fluke stuff. So hopefully this episode can save you like two years of losing to your local uh, hotshots. And you can show up and be like, oh, did you know my rabble horde scores both tokens, sir? And and catch them with it. Yeah, exactly. That's that's one of my biggest pickups is I, I love catching players out who don't have their centralized point more than three inches past the token. And you just put more unit strength down than they do and blow it up. Yeah, I think, I think you kind of have to assume your opponent's going to do that. Like it's like it's like yeah. you know, and that, that's always again, assume uh, your opponent's better than you, and then uh, yeah. you're set. Unless you're Alex, because he's one of the best in the world. No, that's that's not true at all. I lose plenty. Trust me. Um, like the the keys, I think again, just understanding what is available, like what tools you need to defend those things. And again, and that comes down to placement, because again, you you're placing these tokens, right? You have a part, yeah. you have at least half a part in putting these tokens down. So so know your strengths and weaknesses, right? Like where where can I put a token where I can move? Let's, even if you're a slow army, right? Where where can I move four or five six inches the first turn and and, and control it with three inches to spare, right? Like like you know. Make it hard for your opponent. Yeah, you're set, man. We talked about it in the last episode. We talked about it in Pillage. I've told Alex this. Alex has told other people this. Uh, you can't flank a building, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Buildings are still a very important part of... of um, they're, the, they're the best unit in the game, right? Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's like really important to understand. But I agree, buildings are really important because it's like a lot of people... I've seen a lot of people like go around buildings where it's like it takes you four turns to do it. It's like... You know, it's, it's too late. It's like, you know, your unit is You've like... You've already committed. It's over. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like that unit's not nimble. It takes them like four turns to like, you know, get around. And it's like, it's 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 like not worth it at that point, right? Or maybe it's like an air elemental and you have that battle with the air elemental trying to land behind you and you're kind of trying to block it out and space it out. And so... Um, it, well, no it's one just, takes air elementals. They suck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, air elementals, you'll never see one ever, right? Uh, but like like building, buildings is definitely... You can do a whole episode on buildings and, and, and the importance of it, but... um. Definitely from a scenario point of view, I think understand buildings are big for line of sight blocking, right? Um, every building should be, you know, height 
six to nine. You usually see nine. I mean, I know it does vary a bit, um, but, but for the most part, you should be safe behind a building. Um, and then also like when it comes to just like protecting your flank. So just knowing like same thing with Hills, right? Anytime that you can get in a position where you're defending without being at risk behind a height three Hill, if your opponent doesn't have height four, height five, so great, right? If they have to get on the Hill to pressure you, especially if you can double hold a token, right? Uh, I like to have an anvil and a hammer on each token in a mission like this, because the other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to get put in a position where all of a sudden you get fluke wavered. And the only real counter you have is to disengage one inch. And now you've given up that frontage. So having a second response and for me is oftentimes really important just so that you can fan out or, or do a counter or, or respond. But also if you're behind a hill, having that hammer way out in front, the hill acts as your chaff. If you can't be charged, you don't need to scream. So, and that comes with practice and knowing where you can put units. And, you know, obviously if they have drakens, they can see you don't do that. But like, if you face me on the table, I can't see over a height three hill. You can't see over a height three hill. So whichever one of us has the token positioned in a way that the hill acts as a screen has the advantage in that matchup. Yeah, absolutely. Hill, hills are really yeah, important. Sometimes pieces, I think. the best way to hold a hill is to not be on it, but to be looking at it. And then as soon exactly. as someone goes up, they die. Right. That's one of the things that people right. hate the most about the infamous uh, dash 28 penis map. Whoever yep. gets on the hill first usually dies the fastest. But exactly. uh, salt the earth. The, the biggest thing for me is don't blow up tokens unless you have to. And uh, if you can play pillage, you can play salt the earth. But if, don't blow up unless you're pressured. And for the love of God, measure your frontage from the center so you don't get double popped for no reason. Yeah, I think I think um, last thing I'll say about salty earth is like one of the things you said multiple times, and I agree with again. Assume your opponent's going to go first. Again, the the biggest issue is your opponent, like whoever could goes first, is at a massive advantage because they can blow up basically whatever they want. Gargoyle, a gargoyle troop can pick up that objective turn one uncontested. Exactly, on. exactly. So you ought to really be careful with, with with the first turn stuff for this scenario. And that I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't. It it slipped my mind, but. Yeah, you yeah. have to. You can't put a token on the twenty-four in the middle and be like, "I'll probably win that." And your opponent goes, "No, you won't." Right? Exactly. They commit a gargoyle. They win first turn. It's, it's and then and you can't. A lot of times you can't even punish them for doing it. It's like you know what I mean. It's, it's like it's okay to in some, in some scenarios like, "Oh, okay, they're gonna they're gonna burn me my tokens here, but at least they're gonna lose their units." And in this one, there's such an advantage going first. Well, and, and that's true. You you do deploy Salty Earth a little differently than Pillage because Salty Earth tends to be deployed more defensively on both sides. You don't see all the tokens in the middle like you see in Pillage. It, it tends to be three deployment, three deployment-ish for that exact right. reason. Because once you get dive-bombed once by a flying chap unit, you never let it happen again in Salty Earth. Exactly, yeah. So that's, that's just something that I think keep in mind. It's like, like be a little bit more cognizant of that. And it doesn't have to be in deployment, so it can be like a few inches ahead of it where there's a unit at least there. Just contest it. Right, you have a 15-inch line from deployment that you can test, so use it. Yeah, do that way more than pillage because they just have to. You have to plan around that again. The opponent's got speed and blowing things up because they will. Any smart opponent will do that. Uh, even scout, I've messed up and I've had scout units move up and contest my objective before I even get to start. And then even if I get first turn, I might lose it. The, and that's, those those are coming more to play too. When you talk about other scenarios, there's a lot of other fun ones. And again, there, there's there's parallels, right? So this this. 
you know, you talk plunder or loot, you're going to, you're going to talk a lot about this kind of stuff. And I'm excited to hear that episode. And it's, it's all different because each, each of those missions completely changes how you have to think about the game, right? Me and Alex are talking about all that matters is unit strength trading and, and board space. And as soon as you get into loot, it goes into priority screening and durability. And then, you know, it doesn't care about wind blast. And then you get into some of the other upcoming missions and everything we're talking about split. Unit strength has no value on on push, right? All that matters is I've got the tokens. So the the game's in a really neat state right now. I'm pretty excited. Uh, Alex, did we miss anything overall for these sort of control type missions? Some some big overarching knowledge other than don't suck, lose lots of games, and then eventually you'll start to win. Yeah, they all get good, right? Um, get good, screw up. Yeah, I think mean, yeah, get, beyond get good, I, I think we covered a lot. I mean, I, I really think um, yeah, I think, I think we covered a lot just from our design to deployment i think to me really deployment is the big one that we kind of hammered home on like like you know just really just just start asking yourself those questions right ask yourself this have a plan. yeah have a plan and, and make it flexible right and i i think the best advice i have is until you get past the get good scrub phase have a default standing right like okay my default is i'm going to try and put one in each corner something in the middle because i know how to play that i'm comfortable playing that even if it puts me at a slight disadvantage being comfortable is its own own advantage. And, you know, you get two, 300 losses under your belt. You can, you know, maybe put two in a corner instead of one. I've, I've been saying it for years where it's like, you should play what you know. Like, I tell it to every new player, everyone who's been playing. I'm like, hey, look, play the list that you're most comfortable with. Because, again, um, you know, again, we talked about how many different variables in, in four scenarios alone, right? Like, like yeah, I, mean, I could probably to- do another hour on each right. one going into depth on how alpha plays it and how this plays exactly it. So, you have different archetypes different armies different scenarios there's so many like you know variables like in the play here war machine versus rabble spam versus high unit strength versus nimble versus there's like eight archetypes of trash alone and they all play the game completely different so right find what you like and do it don't do what rob does is what we're saying that's always a good strategy do do the opposite of me and you'll have a better chance of winning exactly exactly i, I like to, I'm, I'm more of a like pick an army stick with it for a year that's kind of my philosophy is like like i like to get a good year in the book i thought your philosophy was win masters and then do whatever you wanted yeah exactly just ride those laurels for for the rest of the time (laughs) exactly yeah it's working great for me well i i don't think we miss anything either so it's time to go to the great overseer and see what his feedback is you guys did a great job covering area control scenarios i the new players are going to get a kick out of this as we post this up on our facebook page if you have additional questions reach out that's the beautiful thing about kings of war uh, everybody wants you to be a better player, right? Everybody wants the community to, to learn and grow and develop iron sharpens iron, right? And we want everybody to be better because it makes us better. I would, I would love to become a mid table player through no fault of my own. And just that the community has gotten so much stronger. Like that'd be my dream is the community gets to the point where my best is only mid table because then I have to, I have to just try so much harder. Well, Alex, final thoughts. You I'm excited for Masters. I think Masters can be a lot of fun. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting stories in Masters to, to pay attention to, especially from a scenario point of view. I think I think it's cool to see, you know, again, keep track of like the unit strength armies, the unit count armies. I mean, I know, um, I know there's, a guy, there's a lot of data guys out there that love to like look at what armies are, are going to have the most unit strength and like drops. And I think pay attention to those. I think I think if, if you're an outside player, like at least that's what I look at. I'm, I'm a kind of a stats nerd. I like to look at those things and figure out like, what what works and what doesn't work and kind of um, look into those details and kind of pay attention to that. Cause I think, I think there's a lot of different stories of archetypes and, and um, 
And I think we'll, I'm very curious to see kind of what comes up on top of Masters. And, and you know, it, me, me and, and uh, Kyle have talked a lot about scoring units and scoring unit strength and stuff like that. And we'll we'll see how much the factor that comes into play, right? I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how that goes. Yeah, how many Ogre players take first, right? Exactly. They're, they're going to just, everything, you just ignore what we just said, just trash this episode. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love for someone to come in here, prove us all wrong at Masters and be like, I brought six unit strength and won every mission. I'd be like, awesome shake up that meta but i I don't think it's going to happen i think especially with the prevalence of control type missions having more scoring units will always favor you to having less even if you have less unit strength more scoring drops is an advantage because you can trade and there's no no other way around it well guys thanks for the marathon episode on scenario play looking forward to hearing our next batch of these And uh, like I said, if you have any feedback on the show or you have additional questions, please add a comment to the Facebook post where we share this episode. Thanks for listening to us. And until next time, don't forget to keep on countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.